We live in interesting times. Um, when my grandfather came to the States, I think it was somewhere in the 60s or the 70s, um, he went to Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's never been to the States. He flew here. And they booked him into a motel, and he got in there, and then they phoned, the church phoned him later because he was a missionary in Africa, and they, they booked him into the hotel because they thought he was black, which is pretty sad for Christians that they, they wouldn't allow him to stay with them in the house because they thought that he was from Africa and he had to be black, which is what most people assume, that everybody from Africa has got a dark skin. It was interesting because they, they've spoken to him numerous times before. I don't know how they spoke to him, um, but I take it there was perhaps a phone call by landline. Um, maybe they used fax. I don't know. Those of you who've got gray hair, were there faxes in the 60s and 70s? No faxes. So that's a technological advancement. So it was probably calls or they used Morse code. Ding, 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 ding. But somehow or another, they communicated with Africa and they knew this guy was coming, but they didn't know whether he was black or white. In, in, in today's world, it's totally different. Somebody comes from Africa, you will know if he's pink, black, white, or, you know, even if he looks Chinese. How would you know that? Because today we've got phones. We've got phones. I can literally pick up my phone now. I can phone my mother and I can see her face. Isn't technology incredible what we have today? I can have a meeting with somebody in a different country over Zoom. I have communication. I have a, 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 a formal meeting. Um, that's why I find it interesting that people still use faxes and things like that. I mean, we live in such a powerful technologically, te technological age. Uh, there was a time where I taught little kids in Beijing, China, how to speak English. Over Zoom, I could see them, they could see me. Well, it's some other, it was some other app. So, lines of communication are extremely important. And it has become easier in our world to have these lines of communication. Now pause with me for a moment, based on what I'm saying. Jesus came from God. He came from heaven. He had spent eternity with his father. But now he found himself on earth. He was separated from heaven, wearing flesh. But he kept the lines of communication open with his father. He had first-hand experience of God. He knew how to pray. He knew what to pray for. And he knew his Father. He knew our God. And he knew how our Father would respond to his prayers. Because he's been in heaven. He knows what it's like. He knows what the Father is like. And so if there's one person in the world that we can talk to, that can give us great advice about how to communicate with God, wouldn't you say Jesus is the best? Now, we are busy with this series, the top 10 topics that Jesus spoke about the most. And this morning, we have topic number six, which is prayer. Jesus spoke the sixth most topic on his mind was prayer. Prayer. It's making contact with heaven. It's speaking to God. So this whole week I've been reading through all the verses that I could possibly imagine where Jesus either teaches on prayer or Jesus himself is praying to figure out what can we learn from him. Now I want to be very real with you this morning. You have an opportunity this morning 
to hear a summary of all of that in like 20 minutes. And pick some things and really evaluate your own prayer life. Because your prayer life is a sign of the vitality of your relationship with God. I'm going to make a few points about that in just a moment of time. If you, if you want to treat your spiritual life well, write down the texts that I'm going to be referring to. Write it down, keep it with you, and go read it this week. If I have to read through everything and explain everything, it's going to take us forever. But I only have this Sunday to deal with this topic. Um, I think this is, this is such an opportunity for us because prayer is an incredible blessing that God has given us, a direct line to talk to God. But before I start, let me just make a few observations. Thank you, Shannon. The first thing is this. Your prayers change as you change. When you are, are young, a young Christian, you know, you might be praying for certain things. And as you mature and you grow in your faith, you start praying for different things. Why? Because your desires change. There's a verse that really stuck, sticks to my heart. Psalm 37 verse 4. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in God and He will give you the desires of your heart. But here's the thing. Some people misinterpret this verse. They think, well, if I go to church and I do everything, if I'm religious, then God's going to give me a Ferrari and a new house. That's not what this text is saying. Here's what happens. When you delight yourself in God, you start to be delighted by the things that He's delighted about. And the moment you are delighted by the things that He's delighted about, you're going to start praying different things because your desires are going to change. And when your desires change and become like God's desires, suddenly God says, of course, I'll give you some of that. <coughs> For example, the closer you come to Christ, the more you want of his spirit in you. Jesus speaks about in the New Testament. He says, if you ask God for the Holy Spirit, he will give it to you. So a, a mature spiritual Christian, as he changes and becomes more mature, his prayer life changes. He stops asking for money and cars and stuff, and he starts asking God to send people to him that are lost. He starts asking God to transform his mind so he can be more wiser by the way that he lives his life, for example. So your prayers change as you change. And it's a good opportunity this morning to ask yourself the question, what are the key things that you pray about? Because that is an indication of how much you delight in God. Secondly, prayer is evidence of faith. You want to go read a nice section of scripture that deals with prayer. Go to Luke chapter 18. You don't have to go there now at, in, in your own, own time. But this is a, an incredible statement that Jesus makes here. He explains prayer. He talks about the persistent widow who went to the, the, the judge seeking justice from the judge. And she kept, keeps on persistently begging the judge for help. And then... God, uh, then Jesus responds and he says, eventually the judge is going to help her. But after that, he says this, however, however, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In the context of prayer, Jesus is asking this question. And what essentially Jesus is saying is, God will take your repetitive prayers. You can knock on his door the whole time. He's going to open for you eventually at some point or another. Yes, he will answer your prayers. But my question really is this, Jesus says, do you have faith? Think about it for a moment. When you, take, when you decide, I'm going to take the next 10 minutes and I'm going to dedicate this, these 10 minutes to speak to God. You know what that shows God? It shows God that you believe, that you believe he exists. 
that you believe that he listens to you. It's evidence of faith. Thirdly, associated with this, God rewards prayers. God rewards prayers. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. When you go and you close your door and you pray and you speak to God. You are saying to him, I believe you exist. Because if I didn't believe you existed, I wouldn't have even tried to speak to you. That act, that act of praying to God, even though it feels like you're alone, is an act of faith. And the text says that he will reward you. Now, Jesus speaks about that in Matthew 6 verse 6 as well. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Incredible. I mean, I can spend like 10 hours just on this verse. When you go into that room, look at the play of words and you talk to your father who is unseen. He's unseen to you, but he sees who? He sees you. And then he says, well, I see you. I see your faith. I will reward you. You can be rewarded through prayer. God is deeply impressed. When you do something for him to see. Do you know how it impresses God when you do something? Nobody knows you're doing it. Only he does. And you know that he does. He sees it. And he's the only one that sees it. God is like, hey man, I'll reward you for that. Because that's evidence of, of your faith. And lastly, prayer ought to be our most confident source of courage. Psalm 109 verse 4 is one of my favorite verses. The great David in return for my friendship, they accuse me, but I am a man of prayer. When the bank wants to take stuff from you, you just respond in your head. You say, I'm a woman of prayer. I'm a man of prayer. When your child is going down the wrong path, you say, I'm a man of prayer. I'm a woman of prayer. It doesn't matter what comes my way. When you have a disease... You respond in the same way. I'm a man of prayer. I'm a woman of prayer. David understood. And you're going to hear it in this lesson. David understood that prayer is getting access to the greatest power on earth. And I, I hope that this morning when I say these things, you know, that this doesn't just sound mechanical. For me, this is so real this week. As I had an opportunity to study this again and read this again. Just that prayer is real, ladies and gentlemen. It's not a religious act. We're going to talk about that. All right. So let me, let's get into Jesus. Those were just some thoughts that came to my mind and I wanted to let that out. Okay. Let's go. I've got a few observations about Jesus. As I read all the verses, I, I try to summarize them and put them into um, some concepts. Let's, let's go. The first thing is this. The prayers of Jesus were relational, not religious. This is so important to grasp. Shannon, please put up there, prayer isn't a duty, it is an opportunity. I, this is one thing I want you to get this morning. I'm not, I'm not preaching from this pulpit saying, hey guys, we, you, need to, you better start praying, man. You need to pray every day. You're not one hour, not two hours, three hours. Where's your commitment to God? Because then I'm pushing, I'm pushing a religious form of prayer on you. Prayer is not a duty, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to speak to God. 
It's an opportunity to tell him how you're feeling. It's an opportunity to request his presence in your life. The Muslims, they, for them, prayer is religion. They've got a religious form of prayer. They've got the, the five pillars of Islam, and one of the pillars of Islam is Salat. The Salat is this. You've got to pray five times a day. And you've got to say certain words repetitively over and over again, whether it means something to you or not. You have to say it. And you've got to be in a specific posture. And you've got to bow down towards the east where the sun, um, you, you, you know how the story goes. Now, when you study Jesus and his life, you don't see him pray that way. He doesn't have certain words he always says at the same time every day, bowing down a certain way, carrying his little mat with him everywhere for specific occasions to pray. You see something very interesting. When you go to Jesus and you look at his life um, and you ask, when did he pray? Where did he pray? How often did he pray? How long did he pray? You come up with something different. That prayer for Jesus was about contact with his father. It wasn't a command. It was something that he wanted to do. It was an opportunity that he took whenever he needed it, whenever he wanted it, wherever he was. He prayed at meals. Thanks, Shannon. We pick that up. We pick that up when he feeds the 5,000. He breaks the loaves of bread and he gets the fish ready. Yes, he needed to pray about the fish. Did you ever wonder if they ate that fish raw? I think definitely they needed some prayer for that. You can read about that, Matthew 15, 36. At the Lord's Supper, Jesus prayed as well. He prayed when he broke the bread and drank of, of the cup. So... It wasn't a religious duty. And I studied that a little bit. And I didn't study it as much as I wanted to. But if you go to the original, the text says that Jesus gave thanks. Hmm. In some translation, he, he says he blessed the food before he ate it. And before he divided it up for others. This tells us, I don't know what you make out of that. But what I make out of that is that. Jesus didn't just do that religiously. And let's be honest, we, we, we do pray religiously for our food, okay? And I'm not criticizing that. I'm saying we, we learned it from Jesus. For thousands of years, we've been doing what Jesus did. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But I think sometimes, however, our hearts are not really in it. I think that Jesus was honestly thanking God for it. Honestly. Um, what do we make of him blessing it. I'm not sure how to wrap my head around that. But I think that Jesus was showing appreciation. He was saying to the Father. I thank you for providing. I feel so honored and blessed to have this meal. To have this food in front of me. So it can nourish my body. I mean I think we, we live so. I think all of us live really well good lives. We have some good food. I mean, I, on, on, on Friday night, I made some ribs. I've got to be honest with you, I almost passed out when that went into my mouth. I was like, this is incredible, Lord, that you could make an animal like a, like a pig and, and I can have the ribs and I can BBQ it and marinate it. And you have to pause a moment and say, oh my goodness, Lord, you are so good. Thank you for having me have this opportunity to use my taste buds to experience this. You made it. So sometimes I think we just need to pause a moment and pray honestly. You know, people say, oh, you always say the same rhyme at the table. You've heard that before, right? 
You know, there's all kinds of different rhymes. Dad always says the same things. It's okay. Say the same thing every time over and over again. Prayer is not a religious act. The question is this. If it's the same rhyme or not, do you really mean it? That's what it comes down to. Does it come from the heart? I think that's what Jesus teaches us. Because when he broke the bread, it wasn't just a religious act. He meant it. And I think we need to be thankful. So he prayed at meals. And what was interesting for me is, secondly, is that he, he prayed when he was emotional. He prayed when he was emotional. I had a brief chat with um, Grace last week, and she said that she just she woke up in the morning, she woke up early, and she just had this intense desire to pray, and she continued to pray and pray and pray. I don't know. And, and pause for a moment and think about your own life. Have you ever had an opportunity where you've just felt like praying? It doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen every week. Maybe it doesn't happen every month. Maybe it happens once in a few years. But it's so important that when you feel like talking to God, that you do it. And that you don't cut short. Spend that time because you don't always feel that way. You don't always have that yearning in your heart to connect with God. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see him erupt in prayer in certain occasions. Where it's very clear that he's emotional. It wasn't a set time that pushed Jesus to pray. It was a set heart condition that did we do not read anywhere that Jesus prayed at a set time. Sometimes he got up early in the morning while everybody was sleeping to pray. Mark chapter 1 verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And at other times he prayed right through the whole night. Luke 6 and verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When he needed to speak to God, he made time and he took as much time as needed. But sometimes he prayed just where he found himself, when he felt the need to speak to God. At one point, Jesus started rebuking the towns in which he had performed some of the greatest miracles. And he started unpacking these towns. One of them, for example, being Bethsaida. And he says to them, listen, man, if the miracles that was performed in you were performed in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. And Jesus is emotional because he's walking through these towns. He's doing these miracles. And it's like, you guys don't believe that I'm the son of God. You guys are blind. You don't see what's happening. And this eats at the heart of Jesus. And then Jesus says, at that moment, as he's frustrated with what he sees, he says the following, Matthew 11, verse 25 to 26. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father. He bursts into prayer. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. In that moment of emotional frustration, who does he think about? He thinks about his father and he says, I need to talk to you right now. And he speaks loudly, audibly to the father in heaven to the extent that Matthew says, hey, I can write down what he's saying. He had the desire and need to honor his father and tell him, hey, father, I've seen your wisdom. And what about Gethsemane? Do you think Jesus was emotional there? Of course he was. Matthew 26, 38 to 39. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. What do most people today do when they experience this type of sorrow? It's either a bottle, painkillers, sleep pills. Do whatever you can to just try and make it through this sorrow, this depression. Jesus says, no, when you feel like that, talk to the Father. Talk to the Father. When he became deeply troubled and sorrowful, he prayed. His relational prayer based on emotional condition is lastly illustrated when he prayed while hanging on the cross. Remember what he said in Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is deeply emotional. He feels, he experiences the distance of God. And at the moment where God felt the furthest away from me is the moment that he exclaimed to God the deepest agony and prayed to him. So I think that's, that's how many points do I have? That, the first point, the prayers of Jesus were relational, not religious. Number two, Jesus had prayer places and prayer friends. Prayer places and prayer friends. Most of the time, Jesus chose any place to pray. Listen to this. As long as there were no people there. Which is strange, right? Do you know that Jesus sometimes rejected the people so that he could be alone with his father? Remember Mark 1 verse 35? I think we read it just now. Jesus chose secluded places to pray. The wilderness or the mountains. It's not about the places being more holy. But about giving Jesus privacy. He valued his time with his father. He wanted to be undistracted. He needed to get away from people. But there was a special and specific place where Jesus prayed. Do you remember where that was? Anybody? The Mount of Olives. Luke 21, 37. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening, he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. This was at a certain point in his ministry. The Mount of Olives was the last place that he prayed. Same area. The disciples often followed Jesus here. Jesus also knew that this was the place. This was the area where Jesus would be found. Why did Jesus pray there? And there's so many things... I didn't spend too much on this, but so many opinions that people have. Olive oil came from the Mount of Olives and it was used for anointing and people have all kinds of theories. But what, what struck me, which I thought to just share with you, is that the garden was situated between the temple, the presence of God and the wilderness. The garden was the buffer between God and the wilderness. In the same way, Jesus becomes the buffer between man and God, between hell and, well, eternal destruction. He's the buffer between man and destruction. So the garden perhaps carried such great significance for Jesus. Although Jesus often retracted to secluded places, we see that he sometimes took with him, who? Three of his closest friends. Matthew 26, 36 to 46, you can go read up about that. Jesus needed his three closest spiritual brothers with him. Let me pause for a moment. Do you have people in your life that will pray with you? 
If you don't, you need to find somebody. Even Jesus, the Son of God, wanted people around him that could carry him in prayer while he was praying. We need each other. We need to pray for each other. And you know what? You shouldn't have friends that don't pray with you unless you want to lead them to God. We should have godly people around us that we can pray with. If you can't pray with your friend, what type of a friend is that? Thirdly, Jesus prayed and preached altruistic prayers. And if you were like me and you see that word, you're like, what on earth is that? I don't know. I just Googled, what is a word that is an antonym for selfish? And it came up to altruistic. Altruistic means selfless concern for others. And in this instance, including God. In other words, praying for things that God wants and not what you want. Praying for things that other people need, not what you want. Luke 11 verse 1. The disciples see Jesus praying at a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So they see Jesus praying. They say, hey, we want to pray like you. Can you teach us how to pray like you do? And then Jesus, he goes on to give them a sort of an outline. We know the outline, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? The Lord's Prayer. And there's a neat summary that I came across this week. If you want to put it into sort of brackets and you want to take this home, you can write these down if you want to. The first one is adoration, consecration, supplication, intercession, and protection. That's a nice way, nice formula, nice outline. If you want to go home, you want to know what to pray about, then you, you, can, you can use those five points, right? And look at that. I don't want to spend too much time on that. Do you know why? Because Jesus in Luke chapter 11, he doesn't just stop there. He goes on and he gives us two examples of asking for something through prayer. He uses an example of a guy who has a guest that comes over to his house that's traveled far, but he doesn't have enough food for him. I think he doesn't have bread. So he goes and he knocks on his neighbor's door and he says, hey, can you please give me some bread for my friend who came to visit? And long story short, this guy has already locked the doors. He doesn't want to wake up. He doesn't want to help him with bread because he's like, and then Jesus says, well, even though, you know, he's already locked up, he will help you because he's sort of, he's like a good friend. You know, I'm putting my own words in here. He's like sort of a good friend. But if you go read that, that text, something interesting struck me. What did he go ask the guy for? He asked him for bread. For who? For himself or for his guest? For his guest. It's interesting that Jesus would picture that because Jesus is teaching us here that when you pray for the good and well-being of other people, when your life is dedicated to serve others, You'll be, you'll be quite surprised at how often God will answer that prayer. When you pray, God sees you as his friend and child. Is one of the things we pick up in that text. Because in the verses just below that, Jesus talks about the concept of when you're, you know, which type of a father would give his child a snake when he asks for a fish. And so Jesus is teaching us that when we pray, we need to remember God sees us as his friend. 
and as his, as his child. And right at the end, Jesus talks about that verse that I referred to earlier. He talks about the concept of you can ask for the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask a question. Why would Jesus end that last parable with saying, if this is how earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, then why do we think that he would not give us more of the Holy Spirit if we ask him? Why doesn't it say, you know, God will give us what we want, God will give us what we need, but he says, God will give us of the Holy Spirit. Once again, what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? The Holy Spirit moves us to bless others. The Holy Spirit is about impacting the world. So the teaching there, if you go read it, and please go read that at your own time, Luke chapter 11, and go unpack it for yourself, you will see something similar to the statement I'm making now. Jesus didn't pray for himself unless it somehow could bless others. Jesus never made selfish prayers like, hey, I, you know, Lord, please give me a house or something. It was always related to the mission. And it was always related to the glory of God. And it was always related to the lost of the world. John chapter 17. You want to know about the heart of Jesus? You have to go to John chapter 17. Please write it down. Go read the whole chapter. It's a profound prayer that we won't be able to deal with totally today. But I want to give you a brief overview because Jesus prays about three things in that prayer. In verse 1, look at this. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Listen, think carefully about what Jesus is saying here. Jesus prays for himself here. But what is he praying? Father, glorify me. That's a bold statement. Glorify your son. In other words, magnify me, your son. Why? I mean, isn't that the worst prayer in the world? Make me famous. Make me powerful. Make me great. That's essentially what he's praying. Why does he want that? He says, so you can be glorified. So you can be great. Because the more popular I become, the more I can point to you. The greater things I can do for you, the more, the greater I become in the world, the more I can point people to you. If you can get glorified, you have an opportunity to give God glory. In simple terms, this is what Jesus is praying. And this we can plant in our own heads. Use my life to bring you honor. That's what he's saying. Use my life to bring you honor. Father, I am weak. I am nothing. I'm an old man, I'm an old lady, but you take me and you use me and you give me success so I can give you glory. Now that's a powerful prayer you can pray for yourself. It's a million times better than just saying, oh Lord, just make sure that I have what I want. Secondly, verse, chapter 7 verse 9 and 11, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. I'll remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus prayed for his missionaries. He's praying for his disciples there. The, 11, the 12 disciples. 
the true disciples, those who are on the mission. And what did he pray for them? He prayed for them for protection and unity. Protect them from the evil one, he says in verse 16. Because these guys are in a mission. We need to pray for people who are in the mission field. We need to pray for people who are actively making disciples. And that means we need to pray for one another. And thirdly, verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Jesus prayed for those who will accept the message. Those who will still believe that they may be one. So Jesus prayed for the glory of God. Then he prayed for the messengers who take the message of the cross. And then he prayed for the, for the receivers of those messages. We need to pray for the people in this community who will still meet Christ. His whole prayer was about the mission. What was the mission? To save the world. When your prayer life is saturated with the mission, God will listen to every word because that is where his heart is at. Do you remember Matthew 9 verse 35 to 38? Jesus went through all the towns and villages. Two weeks ago I preached about this. Teaching in their synagogues. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. I'll repeat it. Jesus gives us here actually a command of what we need to pray for. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his field. You have to care about people in order to pray this. You have to care about the lost. You have to respect the great commission to pray this. The commander of the army will give you any tool you need to win the fight for the cause but he won't give you a new car. What I mean by that is this. When we, when we are Christians and we are signing up to become disciples of Jesus, we are signing up to be soldiers. And maybe sometimes we aren't told this accurately when we, when we get baptized. But when you get baptized, that's the moment you sign up to be in God's army. That's why Paul writes to Timothy and he says, a soldier doesn't get involved in civilian affairs because he's occupied with what? He's occupied with the war. And if you, you're not... You're not aware of this. We're in a huge war. We live in a town where there's a great mission to take place. Now imagine you, you have a soldier who signs up for the army to defend his country. And he's at the base. And he keeps on. He never, he never picks up the gun and gets involved in the war. But he keeps on phoning his commanding officer saying, hey, I need more pay. I want more pay. And I want a better house for my wife. And I want a car. What do you think the commander is going to say? He's going to say, yeah, okay, I hear you, but our first priority is we need to win this war. And I don't see you really fighting in this war. And if I give you a car, that's going to occupy, you're going to even be a worse soldier. Right? But what if the same guy had a mind change and he said, you know what? I shot out all my bullets I am tired, I've, I've run out of electrolytes because I'm so intensely involved in this battle. Commander, can you please send us some Gatorade and some bullets and stuff and, 
and, and, and some bombs and drones. What will the commander say? Yes, of course, because you are focused on the mission, the battle, the war. It's the same thing in our personal spiritual lives. Let's be honest as Christians. How often do we just pray about our stuff? Oh, my house, my car, my this, my that, my that, my that, my retirement. It's all about me, me, me. How often do we pray about the mission? Lord in heaven, use me to reach somebody today. Father, give me words in my mouth to bless my neighbor. Give me the courage when I go to the pharmacy to pray with that lady standing behind the counter whose life is falling apart. You know, when we pray for missional stuff, God answers immediately. Boom. He will give it to us. I just think that sometimes we are preoccupied with the wrong things. Not my will, but yours be done, Jesus said. Jesus said a few things while hanging on the cross. Some of them were prayers. One of them was this, Luke 23, 34. Um, it's not on the this, this slides, hey? Okay. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. He's praying for others. He's praying for their well-being, for their salvation. Let's go to the next one. Jesus showed that our prayers can be as powerful as his words. I'll run quickly through this because I see I'm going on too long here. This is an important one. Very important. Jesus showed that our prayers can be as powerful as his words. Do you remember the story in Mark chapter 9 verse 14 to 29? Just go write that down. There's, a, there's a, a man that comes with, and, he's, and his boy is demon-possessed. It's a, it's a deaf and mute spirit, the Bible says. And Jesus, they, they bring this boy to Jesus. And Jesus says the following. He says, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. This boy had been in the presence of the disciples. They couldn't drive out this demon. Jesus says, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. You deaf and mute spirit. Guess what the demon does? He obeys. That's a powerful spiritual being that's taken captive a young boy. And Jesus, with the words of his mouth, drives out the demons. Then the disciples go to Jesus and they say, well, how come we couldn't drive out this bad boy? And Jesus says the following, verse 29, this kind can come out only by prayer. I had a lady talk to me the other day. We've had a few encounters, and she, she believes that, I think she believes she's demon-possessed. And she brought me this list of questions, and she spoke to me about some of the things there. And I, I can't remember what the conversation was about. And I said to her, I said to her, I am nothing. I can't remember what the context was, but I said to her, I am nothing. And I honestly meant that. I'm just a servant of Jesus. I, can, I am nothing. And you know what she said to me? She said, that's, yes, exactly, that's what scares me. And I didn't understand why would she say that. Why would it scare her if I say I am nothing? I thought at the moment, maybe it's like weird for her. Like, this guy's like, he's just weird. He's different than you know, normal people out there in the world that he claims to be nothing, that he's... But then when I read what she said and I read this, it started to dawn on me. She feels that she's being attacked by spiritual beings. 
She feels that she's possessed by spiritual beings. And she doesn't know where to get help. It feels like there's no power that can help her. And then she comes to church and she talks to the preacher and the preacher says he's nothing. So in her mind, nobody can help her. The preacher can't help her with these spiritual battles that she's going through. Then nobody can. Is there no power in his church? That's her frustration. Why can nobody help me? That's her call. And then I read this. That I can pray. I'm not, I am nothing, but my prayer isn't nothing. I could have said to her, hey, I'm nothing, but hey, I know somebody who's someone, and we can go in there and we're going to pray now. But you see, the problem is this, we don't believe in our prayers that much, do we? Like, I'll be honest with you, I don't. Like, I've been praying my whole life, but I'm thinking like, I could have taken that girl and I could have sat with her and I could have prayed in the name of Jesus Christ. And I could have had the same, my prayer could have had the same effect on her as the words of Jesus had in this boy's life. Do we believe this? Do we believe that prayer is as powerful as the words of Jesus Christ? Do we really believe it? Well, we better start believing it. It's in the word. We don't pick and choose what we believe. Jesus said so. We don't have to hesitate to stand back for the demons and their world. Our prayers are powerful. The last thing I want to share with you about Jesus. I'm lying. The last big one. I've got a lying preacher here. Jesus accepted rejected prayers. Maybe I can change the wording there. He accepted unanswered prayers. The agonizing prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane was answered by God with a big what? N-O. No. You're going to the cross. You're going to die. You're going to suffer. Jesus is like, please don't let me go through this pain. God's like, no. And Jesus was fine with it. Why? Because he didn't care as much about himself and his pain and his suffering as he cared about God's will. He was totally sold out on doing God's will. Regardless of what it would cost him, how hard it would be, how difficult it would be, and how much he would bleed. <laughs> and Jesus knew that his father was good. That if his father said, no, you're going to go to the cross, that his father would give him some strength. And he did. Luke 22, 41. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. God's like, man, you know what? You're gonna, you, the answer is no, but I'm going to give you strength to go through this. I'll send an angel. He'll carry you as you carry your cross. This is the God whom we serve. The list can go on. Jesus believed in repetitive prayer. He prayed at least three times the same prayer in Gethsemane. He preached a parable on the persistent widow to encourage us 
to never give up when we pray. Luke 18. Jesus knew that God cannot reject the humble man's prayer. Luke chapter 18 verse 9 to 14. Watch your motives as you pray. Number three. Jesus knew the best gift he could give his friend was a prayer for him. Luke 22 verse 31. Jesus says to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you. But I have what? I have prayed for you, Simon. That your faith may not fail. Jesus teaches us that we need to pray for our friends who are struggling in sin, who's battling with Satan. Jesus prayed over the food. He prayed over the mission. He prayed for God's will. He prayed for his enemies and he prayed for the faith of God's servants in the face of temptation. So practically, what do we do as we go from here? I would like to suggest four things that came to my mind. Number one is find a place to pray. It should be on the next is it not there? Oh, for crying in a bucket. Graylin, you're going to have to memorize this. Number one, find a place to pray far away from people where it's just you and God. Number two, find friends that will pray with you or find a friend that will pray with you. They don't have to pray with you in the same place. We have technology. Send them a WhatsApp. Hey, would you pray for, with me today? Number three, make your prayers missional. Change your prayers from me to him. From me to mission. Pray about the mission. What does God want in this world? Pray about that stuff. And pray that God will use you. The other morning we had Bible study and I joined the, the ladies just for a moment. And Gail asked the question, what is it that you fear the most in this world? You know, and there's all kinds of things that came up like spiders and snakes and whatever. And I had to really think about it because that was a good question. And then I realized if I go deep down in my life, my personal life, what I fear the most is not being used by God. Not being part of his mission. Being ineffective. Being an ineffective and useless Christian. That for me is the hardest thing. Well, if that's a fear in your life, this is how you start changing it. You start praying about the mission and your relationship with that mission and your talents in that mission and God will use you and lastly write down your prayers the reason why I think it's good to write it down is because that's going to increase your faith when you start seeing hey I wrote this down two weeks ago and goodness gracious it's actually happening now because you know what we forget our prayers we do forget our prayers we have a living example in our midst brother Chuck we prayed about you about a month ago month and a half ago, can't you remember? And your doctor said, you've healed pretty well, right? We believe that God was involved in that process. Find a place to pray. Find friends that will pray with you. Make your prayers missional and write down your prayers. Let's stand and we'll sing the closing song.